Welcome to the Forge America Mission Podcast. My name is Terry Ishii. And today on the interview, I sit down with Drew Thurman. Drew is a church planter in the Boston area. He also serves as our hub director in Ford, for Forge Boston. Uh, I invited Drew to the podcast today because he has a unique story uh, in his church planting journey. He is seeking to create missional expressions, micro churches, missional communities, however you might describe them in your context. And I thought it would be great to sit down with him. So many people read about micro churches, missional communities, but there aren't very many examples of people who are doing it in just an everyday kind of way. And so we wanted to champion his story. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Uh, my name is Terry Ishii. And today uh, for the interview, we are joined by uh, Drew Thurman. Uh, Drew has been uh, on our podcast uh, on the round table, but today we're gonna sit down with him and hear a little bit about his story and about uh, his journey as a church planter, uh, but a, a very different story uh, from what we hear from the typical church plant. So Drew, uh, man, it's good to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you were giving me some grief the other day uh, about uh, some sports uh, allegiances. And I was like, what does a Boston dude have? It? What, like, what are you giving me grief about? But then I realized, oh, he's a Midwest kid who, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how in the world did you end up in Boston, Massachusetts? Yeah, man. I'm a huge Ohio State fan. So I don't like Texas at all these days. We'll give you grace, man. We'll give you grace. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I grew up around the Midwest, um, you know, my whole, my whole life. I'm actually a third generation minister. So we, oh. we moved around a lot. Um, and so I really never had a home base totally um, growing up. Uh, went to uh, university in Cincinnati and post-college got hired and I worked for a, a very large mega church for a few years doing youth ministry in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, ended up getting hired and uh, spent six years in Southern Indiana. Um, and I never really wanted to be back in the Midwest, but ended up there doing, being kind of a teaching minister and um, doing some executive ministry stuff. Loved it. Um, just a remarkable church that I got to be a part of, and they've supported us in a huge way in our church planning journey. But personally in that, I was kind of starting to go through a, a little bit of a crisis of effectiveness. Um, and I don't even think I had words to articulate what I was feeling then. I think now I look back and, um, uh, I'm, I have, you know, hindsight's 2020, I'm able to look back and see where I, what was going on, but really what was happening in my life, I think is I had only thought I could do ministry being a preacher. Uh, and teaching and communicating something I, I do think I'm gifted at. But I think I was realizing as I was starting to engage missionally uh, in my city and starting to pay attention, realizing that a lot of the people who are far from God were never going to darken the door of the church that I was standing on the stage of um, week in and week out. And then, um, you know, more than that, I kind of developed and discovered this uh, deep missiological gene, I guess I had, uh, my grandparents were missionaries. So I guess that's where it came out, but, and just this desire to help other people discover their God dream and, uh, you know, really realize their potential to be the church where they're already doing life. 
And so that really was a very disorienting experience. I was getting ready. I had a handful of like mega church offers to be a lead guy. And that's my trajectory. That's where I thought I was going. And next thing I know, I'm like, I don't know, up from down. And I got an offer from an organization that plants churches just in the New England area in that season to plant church, uh, plant a church. And I said, no, uh, I've never wanted to plant a church uh, ever. Yeah. I thought people who planted churches were insane. And I actually, I still do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I never wanted to plant a church. And so I said, no, we at least came out and checked it out. And I fell in love with New England. And I think for the next year, that just kind of churned in my wife and I. And I've always said, I don't think I really ever have like received a call to church planting. I hear a lot of church planters like, oh, I'm called to church planting. I've never felt that. Yeah. I very much felt called to place, mm-hmm. um, uh, just fell in love and felt like this was a place that needed, uh, more people to be ambassadors for the kingdom here. And then secondarily, you know, church planting was just really just an avenue for me to, uh, explore some of the things that I wanted to do with raising up people to live life on mission every day. And so, yeah, we moved here a couple of years ago and, you know, we can get further into that, but yeah, forge was really our coaches. I, uh, I, think I said this in the other podcast, stumbled into a Lance Ford talk. I was at that point trying to sort through all of this and Lance was articulating exactly what I felt. And at the end, I mean, I think even right now, I could probably tell every story Lance told in that uh, workshop about life in Kansas city. And I got done and I just like, I was like, you know what? I don't want to tell Lance's stories. I want my own stories. Yeah. And I uh, realized that he was connected to this tribe called Forge. I'd read Alan and Michael's literature. And so the next year we came back, I knew for sure I was church planning. I was moving to Boston, signed up for all the Forge workshops, went to the luncheon and I went up to Ryan Hairston afterwards. And I said, I'm in, uh, I want to do this thing, but I have no clue what I'm doing. And he said, Oh, we'll coach you. So Ryan and Laura were kind of our guides and we just committed for a year to live as missionaries. And then that's birthed into us, slowly getting kind of a more decentralized micro church expression of the church off the ground. Nice. That's beautiful, man. Dude, what a story. Um, dude, I, I want to go back a little bit and you'd mentioned, uh, you had this, this moment. Uh, and when we talk to people who kind of orbit forge, um, it, it, everyone has that moment, you know, it's the moment where, uh, the colors in the room either go dull or they go brighter. And it's just, a, it's just a shift where you just begin to see things differently. Uh, whether it's, con- it's a, a sense of adventure or a sense of discontentment. And so you talked about this idea, this, this crisis of identity that you kind of had, I mean, unpack that for us. Like what were some of the things that you were, I mean, I, I got to imagine ministry was probably going fairly well for you, but what, I mean, what in the world, I mean, how, what, where do you step, step away from that? Yeah. I mean, I, there was so much, I mean, I think I grew up in a movement of the church where, yeah, the preacher on stage was everything. And I think a lot of it was just me deconstructing some of that Mm -hmm. and being in the midst of that. And then also, uh, I think just being so much about programs and attraction and again, I mean, that wasn't me, but no one asked me. I mean, I was sure. quite okay to lean into those things myself, but just realizing that I don't, I don't think we're as good at this as we think that we are of actually fulfilling what Jesus said. I don't think ministry looks like what Jesus called us to, but I remember one week in particular, there was two incidents that happened and a lot, a lot had already been churning in me, but it was like the linchpin moment. 
where I had a lady come into my office and I oversaw our discipleship pathway. And she clearly had a Holy spirit laced idea. God had been churning in her. And I, and it was difficult for me because I really didn't have any budget dollars I could give her because we'd already allocated those for the year. Uh, I told her we could announce it, but we're, we've got so many things going on. It's probably going to get lost in the shuffle. And I really didn't have a ton of time to take this on. And so I just, I remember like all I could feel like I could do was encourage her a little bit and pray for, and I remember getting in the car and it was almost like God, like smacked me upside the head with a two by four. Like, who do you think you are that you get to decide where I'm working? And if you're doing ministry in a way that the spirit can't move and uh, everyday normal people can't realize and step into their kingdom potential, then you probably need to rethink your strategies. Wow. And then uh, I think I said it was about, it was about a, maybe a week and a half later, I had one of my worst weeks. Um, I'm preaching. I'm not even sure. I, you know, it's one of those weeks, like we can all in ministry admit, like we probably weren't in the word as much as we should be. Uh, I'm struggling. I get up and preach and I'm a pretty passionate communicator. And uh, so I, I'm sure I was preaching that way. And I remember I had a couple of folks in the lobby come up to me like, I just wish I had your faith. And it was just like, I had to like walk back into the green room, which is, that's a whole nother design, but I walked back in the green room and I remember just being like upset. Like yeah. the fact that I'm on this platform and the fact that I have theological knowledge, they've uh, attributed a certain faith to me and in doing so, I'm not sure they ever can fully realize um, their potential because they've put me on a pedestal. And I would always joke and be like, you know, and I would even tell, you know, I would joke about talk to my wife, you know, that's not true. Or, you know, I would tell self-deprecating stories. It just doesn't matter. The fact that I'm on a screen or the fact that I'm on a platform. And so I think those, those are like a linchpin moments for me where I was like, I'm not sure I can continue to do this. This was everything I wanted to do. I'm living out the dream of what I thought. I've got lots of friends that want my job and uh, I've got some cool. And I just, I need to do something else. And again, I'm, that's no, that's not projecting on anyone else that's doing ministry in those churches. Cause I'm, I think a lot of them love Jesus and lost people, maybe even more than me, but for my own personal journey, I just, I couldn't do it anymore and wanted to really kind of uncover something much simpler uh, and something a little bit more authentic in relation to what God was, was doing inside of me. Yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, I come from a Baptist heritage, you know, uh, recovering Baptist, however you want to refer to it, but, you know, I think there are a lot of us from a theological standpoint, we're very quick to uh, quote the priesthood of all believers, that this idea that there, there, there's no divide, but in reality, because our structures have really created, there, there is a divide. There is the, the paid clergy, uh, and it, it, there's almost, it's like you almost get a certain amount of points in your spirituality because of that. And so you, you get, you start with a head start and people look at you and it's that very thing is they equate, well, you're up there. So things must be going great for you. Uh, I had a friend tell me years ago that uh, you can never hire a single youth pastor because people will look at that dude just simply because he's a pastor and then they'll be all over him because it's like, Oh, he must have his life together. And you'll just attract like the most crazy, like, because people are desperate for people who have it together and we don't have it together. I mean, we're just as broken and, you know, dysfunctional, but we, we often get to skate on that pass. Um, and so, 
it's tough. Yeah, that that divide is really it's hard to kind of navigate in those structures. So so you guys decide, hey, maybe it's time for a change. What what prompted the the shift to a more missional stance or more like how do we get the everyday people involved? I mean, you mentioned grandparents being missionaries and having some of that lineage there, but what was it? Was there a, something specific that you read or a conversation or a person you connected with that really prompted that for you guys? Well, I mean, again, I don't think it's never perfect, perfectly linear. So, I mean, I think, yes, I was reading some of, you know, Alan and Michael's literature, which was, was churning. We also had like, I mean, I was trying to do ministry outside the church walls. We had, we had in our neighborhood uh, started throwing block parties and like really, I mean, none of our neighbors knew Jesus and, you know, we're starting to journey in life with them. I was coaching, um, you know, and doing lots of other things. And I found myself like just loving, like, like I wish I had more time to do some of these things. And, uh, and then also just realizing, I think um, that there was a, you know, a huge divide. The fact that I still was a tradition, a pastor in a traditional church setting that it also made my job much more difficult to do that. And so one, how do I train other people to do this and make this their, their mission and really realize, have a theology of place, understand where God has them as the place he wants to use them. Um, and then also lower myself, I guess, to a certain degree to becoming more of an everyday practitioner myself so that I have those opportunities as well. So, yeah, I think that's where it it really started. And I remember, you know, you know, simple things. I, I was, I looking back, I was throwing all kinds of things to try to even lean our church that direction. And I think it was me trying to, uh, you know, in an existing paradigm, you know, I remember we did the art of neighboring and just how exciting that was for me. And then, you know, I really, I kind of talked about it, trying to steer our small groups more to being more missional communities. Like I was trying to do things to lean that direction, even in, in, uh, in that. But I think it eventually came to like a head where I was like, you know what, I really want to step in and fully embrace this and see what it would look like to start this from, from the ground up. Yeah, one of the things that we talk about in Forge uh, is this idea that, you, you know, in, in order to really see a movement happen, there, there needs to be three key, really transformational shifts that happen. You know, there needs to be a transformational shift in, in the organization. And part of that is really looking at the, the core, the culture, and the code. Uh, another way of Ryan, I heard Ryan recently refer to it as the soul, the skeleton, and the skin that at the soul level, if, if you don't have, if you haven't had that shift, you can, you can be at the skin level and it's, it's just not gonna sustain. And so uh, you have to have something that's transformative at that soul level so that you can sustain any sort of ministry that especially that's oriented outward, that's gonna have any kind of impact, that long lasting impact. And so you guys decide maybe church planting, you would, you want to do something. Um, so how do you, how did, how did you get connected with Boston? Like you go from Indiana to Boston. Uh, was it, you, you mentioned this idea of place and really elevating place over the calling to, to church planting. Tell us a little bit about how you discern that. Well, yeah, I mean, again, we got recruited by an organization, so that was the genesis of it. Um, you know, uh, restoration house ministries here in new England. Um, but I really, you know, I'm, I really uh, do believe there is something supernatural uh, sometimes in, in the call to place. And that isn't to say that sometimes that even places we don't connect with, that we need to recognize that God's, you know, working in us. Um, 
you know, I talk a lot about that Paul sermon uh, on the Areopagus in Acts 17, where he talks about in, in God, in him, we live and move and have our being. It's in him that we have life and breath and everything. He's, he's everywhere. He's wanting to move in all things. And so, yes, even sometimes in the places that aren't maybe like number one on our list or the cool, sexy place to live, we need to recognize uh, in, in kind of uh, the barren wasteland, so to speak, even sometimes of our lives, that God's still working and want to move. But there really was just an uh, instant connection. I mean, I got here solid. I didn't want a church plan. So that's really why I rejected the idea, but I just could not escape, uh, really for a year, Boston and really new England. And, uh, that's a big, long story, but just churning in us. And again, I think something supernatural, and I would even say getting here, like, it was almost like I showed up and I was, this is, these are, these are my people. I've been waiting to like, feel like I connected with a place and a people like this. Again, I moved around my entire life so I've gotten to have quite a bit of experience moving and living in different places, basically lived on both coast. I've lived in rural, suburban, urban, uh, and it was just, I just loved it. And I mean, the moment we show, you know, really even started to say, this is where we're going to go. Bree and I have always said, man, we'd love to like, we weren't, you know, we weren't born here. We'd be like to die here. We'd like to be buried here. And so I think that's, you know, there is something supernatural, but again, that was our focus. And I would say most church planters I know, uh, again, great people, most of them are more interested in church planting and where is the going to be the best place for me to build a brand or build a church yeah. and not necessarily that I go and I love this place for what it already is for the people that are already here. Can I join this context like a missionary, live yeah. among these people, join in their rhythms and rituals of life, be okay with that and, and commit my life to that. I think that's the heart of a missionary. And I think that was really God's call in our life was really the call of a missionary, yeah. uh, to a people and to a place. And so, yeah, that's, it was kind of a cool journey. And again, something supernatural there that I can't, you know, through a lot of prayer and discernment, but, um, just something that you can't even really totally put your finger on. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I mean, as you and your wife, as you guys prepare to come to Boston, uh, come to the area, um, I mean, were there practices that you guys had in place or a, you know, to really kind of understand this theology of place uh, and really having a spirituality that, in, that embraces place and the value it has and how you, how you interact with a specific place? What did that look like for you guys, you know, as you got boots on the ground? Honestly, yeah, I would like to say that, you know, I was so strategic and I had this big, long plan. Uh, I, looking back, I just chuckled. Um, I really kind of just have stumbled and fumbled my way. I, you know, I had, a, I had a feeling and kind of a direction I knew that we were orienting towards. And it's just been funny. I mean, we've just leaned further and further and further and continue, continue to plumb the depths of it. Yeah. Um, if I was back where I was two, two and a half years ago, yes, I would probably do some things differently. Um, again, we had, I'd read some about it. I had thought some, just a little bit about it, but it really wasn't something that I had a lot of experience in. And it wasn't like I had gone and been a resident somewhere or like lived, at, you know, for a year among a bunch of people starting missional expressions of the church. Yeah. Uh, it was really, you know, my wife and I, we convinced some of our really good friends who had been in our small group and had worked for young life, Jason, Katie Rashi to come with us. And 
you know, obviously young life teaches a lot of that, some of those principles as well, but it was really just the courage of saying, we know we're called to this place. We know we want to do something different. And really, honestly, that, I mean, that's a part of the journey we haven't even really talked about, but you know, when I first signed up, I, I, we were a little bit more of a traditional church plant yeah. and we've kind of leaned further and further away from that. Um, and kind of embraced more and more kind of a missional incarnational identity. Um, so yeah, we really didn't have as much of a plan. The only way, again, going, talking to Ryan and Laura, the only thing we knew was that we were going to commit for a year to doing nothing but being missionaries. And we weren't from this place and th this wasn't a place that we had lived or we, you know, so we're like, we need to acclimate. It's crazy for us to show up and be, you know, do the parachute drop launch of church planting where we show up and six months later, we're trying to launch a service. Let's just go live and um, be missionaries and discover um, what are the rhythms and rituals? What is the place? Um, and so we really, we went through the residency like everyone else and then added some things to it. And it was a lot of just, uh, I was trying to walk my neighborhood all the time. I was trying to serve any nonprofit or social service I could serve in, you know, Jason, and I started, you know, we found out very quickly that, uh, new England where like Midwesterners gather around food, new Englanders gather around drinks. So how do I like be in the, like the local pubs yeah. for sports game, you know, just whatever I could do. I joined a running club, anything I could do to just like orient my life around the people where they were and just start gathering that information rapidly um, so that that could discern ministry for us rather than coming in with a preconceived notion or idea or formula that we were going to follow to success. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, you put a lot of energy into learning the culture. Um, and still, still are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah. Uh, you know, I've been in Austin for 23 years and I'm still learning things about Austin. Um, and yeah, this, this idea of love for city is, it's, it's, it's so, so important for church planting. And I know lots of guys who, especially Austin, we have this weird, this weird dynamic where uh, it's a desirable city that people want to live in, but it's not a desirable city people want to come plant in. Hmm. And so uh, we'll get people who, who they'll want to, to reap the benefits of an Austin but they don't want to tackle the, the, the hard, the hard work of discerning and discovering what church looks like in this city. And so they'll plant maybe on the outside skirts of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had some, some planters who, who have come who really, man, just, you can tell, like they, they've read the books, you know, I'll tell them, <laughs> Hey, if you're moving to Austin, you need to weird, you need to read weird city here. Like here, the, I've already read it. And I was like, oh, okay. I, and they really begin to share this, like this love. And it's, it's more than just loving the Longhorns. It's more than just loving live music. Uh, it's love. It's more than just loving being the idea of being weird, but it's like, no, it's, it's loving every aspect of the city. It's listening to the city. It's learning the city. Uh, and it, it can be very difficult because it is something that it takes time. And I love the fact that you guys came in and committed. We're just going to be missionaries for a year. I mean, tell me how, one, how did you pull that off with your sending churches and people? It's like, guys, we're going to go and do nothing except go to the bar for a year. Uh, and we'll report back on what we learned. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you learn and discover in that time that shifted? Because you guys thought we're going to plant just a normal church. But because of that time as a missionary, you began to think, okay, we need to shift what this may look like, the expression may look like. Tell me about that. 
Well, I mean, it's a big, it's a long story. I mean, yes, it has not been easy. And I would say coming in it no, from a little bit more of a traditional lens. I mean, we were never going to be a total traditional church plant, but probably a little bit more traditional. Uh, but shifting has not been easy. I mean, I, we lost a hundred thousand dollars in support in one week. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was not good news to everyone. We told that yeah. this was the route that we were going to go. We've taken our lumps and we've had a lot of naysayers and, um, and that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, the church planning machinery, um, is not very open to apostolic figures and pioneering currently. And I think that's one of my hopes and dreams is that it, it does. And we don't just have shepherd teachers, um, planting church structures. Um, you know, again, I read on the verge in the midst of this and that we, that 60, 40 principle Alan talks about was what we circled, man. We were like, and that was really what we started to tell some of those existing churches is, we're not saying that the other church plants are bad. We're glad that they're there, but that's, they're, they're all chasing after the same slice of pie. That's a dwindling slice of pie. What about this other group of people that nobody's, you know, reaching and no one cares about? I mean, a perfect example, I joined a running club and uh, it's all the locals. They run all, there's like a 5k series that actually goes around or see thousands of people show up to all of them. They all, all the races are on Sunday mornings. So I started running those and all the church, you know, all the local church plants and churches are all meeting and I'm hanging out with all the locals at the 5k. So, I mean, it was like, if we're going to be a missionary, like this is where I should be. Yeah. And um, this is where I should be doing life. And so, yeah, it wasn't good news to everybody. Um, it was not, those were not easy conversations, but we managed them and we believed in, in what we were doing enough uh, that we were willing to have them. And we were willing to say whatever we've got to do. In fact, we're shifting to becoming more by bi vo covo and what we're doing, uh, to make it a reality. Um, but yeah, it really was, uh, using some of that information from forge to convince them our church planning organization, and then to have some accountability in place. We, uh, I had our entire, oversight team read uh, rethink from Brad Briscoe and including the uh, rethinking scorecards. And so we developed a scorecard sheet that um, was reflective of inputs and not just outputs. And a lot of it was a relational um, relationally oriented. And so we were able to track like, who are we building relationships with? Are we progressing in those relationships? How many of them are with non-believers? We're actually, in, in fact, because of that, I think we know things that most church planners don't know. Sure. I can tell you right now that all of our team and all of our microchurch leaders track that. And we know we have relationships with well over 80%, 80 percent of our relationships are with non-believers. Yeah. And so uh, we're kind of hitting our targeted demographic. Like that's who we're trying to chase after and do life with. That's where our pulse is. That's where our focus is. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, uh, just saying we've got to do this if we're going to reach them. Um, and again, it's not been good news. It's not been easy. We were still serving people, loving people. We obviously out of that birthed our very first micro church. And so, you know, we saw a little bit of fruit right away that, that we could showcase. Um, but no, it was not an easy journey. And I would tell people, uh, don't, don't shift midstream like we did, uh, because you're going to, you're going to take some lumps. Um, but again, it's been, it's been a good journey because I think if anything, we have seen even now in lieu of COVID, we've been able to go back. And a lot of those folks are now saying, man, we were learning things as you were processing through your journey that we needed just for this season. And while we were skeptical or while we, we weren't really on board, uh, now we see it 
And now we want to lean more into this conversation. So I went from skepticism and a lot of naysayers and a lot of people kind of casting doubt and hardship our way to my phone ringing every week and people saying, Hey, uh, could you give us some insight into this? And we keep yeah. telling people we're not experts, yeah. uh, but here, here's a few, you know, lumps that we've you know taken or a few things we've learned along our journey. Yeah. I love, I, you may not be an expert, but you're definitely a practitioner and that's huge. Yeah. That is yeah. huge. Uh, I would imagine Boston having some, some similar vibes to Austin, you know, both being college cities, um, a high sense of liberalism, um, which as people hear that, they may be like, oh, I, I enjoy the liberalism of my city. I don't know about you. Uh, but with that often comes a very high, a high front wall that, uh, you know, especially locals or people who are, are established, you, you almost have to earn your way in. I mean, is that something that you experienced uh, when you guys came to Boston? And how did you navigate around that? Uh, and we're still navigating. I mean, I think that was even one of the reasons we pivoted, you know, even more, you know, when I started calling church planters around our city, there weren't a lot of success stories and the success stories look totally different than anywhere else. I mean, you know, I was talking to folks who are like, yeah, man, we're, we're doing awesome. We're 10 years in and we have 110 people. Mm. I was like, you know, I was in Phoenix. I remember com people complaining that they only had 150 people show up to launch Sunday. Yeah. Uh, it's a different world. And I think a lot of it is like uh, new Englanders naturally build relationships slower uh, permanency very much matters. It's uh, so much transience has happened um, because of work, because of um, colleges, that people really don't want to invest in a relationship with you unless they know you're staying mm. and that you've been around for a while. Um, we've got friends that it's like, oh yeah, my neighbor started at like year 10 to talk to me. Like, oh yeah, you're staying now. I guess yeah. I can open up and build a relationship. And so, yeah, I mean, some of that is just, you know, knowing that you're going to have to do your time and, um, not to, to get your feelings hurt. Um, new Englanders are very blunt and I actually love that about them because I'm kind of blunt. So I kind of like to know where I stand. They view like the Midwestern uh, nicety, uh, to be like fake and like backstabbing, you know, and, and in a way. So, uh, yeah, you've just got to do your time. And then also, like I said, I think a tendency for a lot of church planters, as I was kind of alluding to, is to, that, to just attract transplants mm. uh, because that's easy. You know, oh, you know, they're moving from Tennessee or Georgia or Indiana or Missouri and they're looking and they Google a church and, you know, we can build a church on that. But to us, that was never like, we're like, well, that's not, you know, it's one, it's not very reflective of the neighborhood that we live in. Yeah. We live in a very like local oriented, a lot of what are called townies live here. Um, you know, people that want to stay and be here. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, how do we just embed ourselves in the rhythms that they're living life and, um, just understand, like, we're not going to be offended. You know, we're just going to embrace things that they embrace, know that they're going to throw some shade our way in the process. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes act like we're fakes or we're, we're posers because we're, we've, you know, we've just moved in. Uh, but just ch laugh it off and just keep showing up.
And I think that's kind of always been, you know, at least been my strategy. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got people in several of the rhythms that I've embedded myself in that mock me incessantly for things. Um, You know, like I wear a Red Sox hat. Like, oh, no, you can't wear a Red Sox hat, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm okay, cool. I I like watching the Red Sox. Like I like, you know, uh, you know, I love Fenway Park. You know, I don't, I don't care that you're throwing shade my way. I'm, I'm embracing living here and I'm here and you're just going to have to deal with me. I'm going to keep showing up. And so as long as you got thick skin and you're okay with it, I think you're going to be okay. If you're going to have your feelings hurt. Um, yeah, it's not going to be the place to move and, and try to, to do mission work. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I think, I think the, the important part of being a missionary when you transplant is it, it seems uh, like it's inconsequential, but I think there is something there. It's like, how do you navigate? Like you have your hometown, right? You have, you know, are you an Indians fan? Like growing up, Reds, Reds fan, yeah, Reds fan, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't hard to start rooting for the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I get that. Um, but like, you know, moving to Austin, you know, um, you know, in in high school, you know, A and M. I played football. Did a, you know, I was decent. A little recruitment towards AM, but Austin's very different. It's like it's Longhorn country here. Um, and so, but there's something about like coming to the city and like, okay, I'm gonna live here, I'm gonna give my heart to the city. Can I give my allegiance to the city? Not in like a bandwagony, but like if the Red Sox like were horrible. Um, which they were this year they I were still, this and year. I still watch them yeah. <laughs> yeah. like can you give can you give your heart to them you know mm-hmm. especially someone like like Boston where there's you know you you, you remove the recent success um, it, it's a heartache city I mean that that that's sure. that's really tough to give your heart to you know uh, like oh, I'm a Patriots fan all of a sudden it's like yeah, maybe now because that Brady's gone and it, it's completely different yeah. when Brian Hoyer's like the go-to guy. That's that's, that's rough for a New England fan. Yeah. Um, but like, how how much do you give of yourself to the city? So I love that you're navigating that and you taking your punches by the by, by the the townies, and I think that's good. Yeah. Well, man, tell me like what what's next? Like as as the Holy Spirit prompts in you and Jace, and as you guys look at Renaissance, like what what do you what's what are what's your longing for for this work? Yeah, so we've really, like I, I was referring to, we've launched our first microchurch. We've since launched a second. Um, and we've got a couple more on the runway right now that would have already launched, but COVID has kind of made it a little bit more difficult to get get new works off the ground. Um, but And we've kind of started to worship together digitally in this season once a month, bringing our microchurches together. Really what's next for us is we are really uh, trying to scale and become uh, a true hub that is resourcing our micro churches. So kind of going from just a couple of organic works that we've gotten off the ground to inviting a lot more people into our training process and our equipping process. I think we're starting to figure that part of the journey out a little bit and really posture ourselves as a hub um, that is, you know, kind of developing and resourcing leaders and then creating through our monthly worship service and other avenues kind of connections. Uh, so ideas can cross pollinate and all those sorts of things. So that's really where things are going. We're also, uh, as I was referring to starting to go like Covo. So we are in the process of starting a coffee shop co-working space nice. in 2021. That's going to be called common good co. 
and uh, is actually going to give a portion of our proceeds back to local nonprofits and social service agencies. So we have like 30 within a mile of our house. And we kind of, we're, we're about six, seven miles out of the center of Boston and Waltham. And we're kind of a blue collar neighborhood. So if you're not going downtown for social services, you're probably in our, in our neighborhood. And uh, one of the things that I, we really believe heavily in a lot of church plants, actually now we know it research-wise, actually perpetuate gentrification. Yeah. Our neighborhood's kind of right on teetering on what that would look like. And so part of opening a business was saying, how do we combat that? And so yeah. how do we prop up these social service agencies, these nonprofits that are doing something uh, that are embracing so that you know, affordable housing can happen in our neighborhood. And, you know, uh, you know, people who are, especially a lot of minorities or first generation immigrants that are moving in aren't being forced out. You know, how do we, you know, resource the folks that are helping the unhoused population that is growing in our, in our neighborhood. So those sorts of things. Uh, and again, embedding ourselves and showing some permanency is, is a really valuable thing here. We're starting a business. We're investing. It's a for-profit business that we are, we're going to pay taxes. We're going to be here and uh, we're going to be a part of the community. And we want, we're in it now uh, for the embetterment uh, from a different, from a different vantage point uh, than just a church. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of uh, on the horizon. Um, yeah, some, ex some exciting developments are happening as we're looking at spaces and uh, already talking. We've just gotten a, a new crop of leaders trained and some new folks that we're talking to. And so, yeah, that's kind of what's on the periphery for us. Our, our dream would be uh, a very decentralized, you know, you know, new expressions of the church, micro churches all across our region of the city. And uh you know, in, in a very uh, parochial city in particular, that people would kind of, kind of be awakened uh, with a fresh imagination of how the church can operate uh, outside of the bounds that they've placed it in. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, how can, first of all, just thank you for sharing your story. I think it's, I think it's so good. Um, what you're doing is, it's one of those things where we hear a lot of people talking about it but there's not a ton of stories of it. You know, people think the underground, the Brian Sanders, all that <laughs> stuff. It's yeah. great. It's a great story, but we can't, not all of us can follow that story. And so, man, thank you for letting us share your story. Uh, how, if someone is hearing this and they're like, I got to talk to this dude, how, how can people, how can people connect with you? Is there, you know, Renaissance website? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, you can find me uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and then, yeah, uh, just reach out. It's we are renaissance.org is uh, our, our church website. And you can, my email's there. I'm also the hub director for uh, Forge Boston. So if you go to forgeboston.org, uh, you can find, find my contact info there too. So yeah, I would love nothing gets me more excited than that. And, you know, maybe just to add interject one more thing, that would be what one of my, uh, I didn't even know that that was a dream, but one of my new dreams is just inspiring. I keep, I've gotten to preach to a lot of our, um, supporting churches or other places. And every time I do, I'll have like, you know, men and women, a lot of, most of them in their twenties will come up to me and be like, this is my dream for the church. I didn't know it was possible. Like I didn't know anyone was doing this. And that's what gets me so excited. I think there's a whole generation of this that's about to burst forth. I'm an early adopter in it. Um, but man, there is nothing that gets me more excited than to inspire and to just 
speak words of encouragement and, and tell people that it's, it just takes a little bit of courage. You can do it. You can figure it out. Um, yes, you're going to have to step out of the bounds of maybe what you thought about ministry. You're going to have to color outside the lines. You might disappoint some people. Uh, but there is something beautiful on the other side of that, that I can honestly say two and a half years in, I believe more in what I'm doing now than when I did it started doing like saying I was committing to it. And now that I'm getting a taste of it, I'm like, there's no way I can go back to doing what I was doing before. Uh, I want to give them the rest of my life to this. And I think anyone else that tastes that I want, I, I think they'll have that same experience. And so, man, yeah, anybody I can chat with, if you're, if you're listening to this, would love to connect with you and inspire you to kind of start your own right uh, journey to uh, start a new expression of the church. Very cool, man. Well, dude, I love, I love your posture uh, to be willing to be experiment. That's, uh, that's been my posture for 13 years with Neighborhood Church Collective, that we're probably going to be a failed experiment, but <laughs> someone can learn. If we can be a footstep that someone can build on top of and do it better, then praise God, and uh, we're grateful for that. So final question, probably the most important question of this whole thing. I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't give you any leeway into this. What is your favorite Boston movie? Like, the what is the best Boston movie? What do you got? Man, uh, I mean, The Departed is really hard for me it's up there. To, to beat. I mean, I just, I've seen so many of the sights in Departed. Sure. I mean, I know Goodwill Hunting is kind of like the the standard. That's the classic. That's the classic the line, answer, right? Yeah, it's like Jesus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Ben Affleck, yeah. Matt Damon. That's good. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, Departed is just I don't know. There's just it is it's just iconic, and there's just a, a lot of like shots that are there that are, um, you know, that I, I get to walk and see those sites all the time and just love it. Yeah. Well, it's Scorsese in Boston, which yeah. is, it's magical, you know, yeah. especially being, you know, yeah. usually we see him in the New York landscape, but to yeah. see him in Boston is cool. Um, well, the right answer is The Town uh, by Ben Affleck. Yep. That's another good one. That's, that's, that's my favorite, man. I love, that's such a good one, but yeah, uh, I, I could sit here and you know, oh, there's so, there's so many, so many, absolutely so many good ones. I think that's part of what's awesome about living here, uh, is that, um, yeah, so many movies are shot. I was actually trying to think what's, cannot think of the, the most re recent, like crime drama that was just actually shot in my neighborhood here in Waltham. I get to go down and watch some of it getting, filmed. Oh, really? um, anyways, I can't, uh, Knives Out. Knives Out was filmed. Part oh, of it really? was filmed it filmed in my neighborhood. A bunch of the chase scenes were like a block oh, right. from my house. So yeah, it's uh, it's just awesome to live in a place that they keep shooting movies and uh, really? it seems to be so iconic. I didn't even know that was a Boston movie. And yep. so if it, uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, Manchester by the Sea is a good one. I like that one too, but yep. uh, dude. Yeah, there aren't, you're lucky, man. You get to live in a city where that's an actual category. You can't say, what are the best movies take place in Terre Haute, Indiana? <laughs> Gonna no, happen, man. no, yeah. no. And so it is, it is very, it is very awesome to kind of live in a place. Yeah. That's, uh, that's worthy of film because yeah. it, it really is. It's, it's that beautiful. And that would be my other pitch. If you've never been to new England, you need to come up here and hang out. Cause it is a pretty remarkable place. Yeah. It's on my bucket list. My, my daughter was, she's always saying, dad, when we go to Boston, when we go to Boston, we did New York. Now it's time to do Boston. So dude, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, reach out to this guy uh, if you're thinking about how to figure this out. Again, he's not an expert, but he's a practitioner. He's living it. He's doing it. He's following the Holy Spirit in the whole process. And so, man, thank you, Drew, for sharing your story. And man, we wish nothing but the best. And we know that God's going to do something amazing with Renaissance. 
uh, and through you and Jace. So appreciate it, man. Well, hey, thank you again. And uh, thanks for having me on.